Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to Timothy. And remember, Paul uh, has left Timothy at Ephesus, and he's writing him back this letter to not only help him individually, but to help the church. In fact, we said he writes to encourage Timothy to stand for Jesus Christ, fulfill his ministry. We can make application and say that's why he writes that we can look at this and make application that we want to have courage to stand for Christ and fulfill the ministry that he's given to us. And then he writes to instruct the local church on how they're to function. Well, we can look at that and say, as a local church, how do we function? What do we do? Well, as we moved into chapter 4, uh, there are several key issues that he deals with. If you notice, there's false teaching and the charge to be godly. We talked a little bit about the false teachers. He said he talked about who they are and what they do and what they teach and how to deal with. And then he talked about the charge to be godly. And that's a very powerful thing that for us to live our lives reflecting our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into these two verses this morning, we're only going to see really two things. And here's what they are. We're going to see Paul's charge to Timothy to be an example And he deals with five areas. We're going to look at those five areas and make application in our lives. And then the second big thing is what should we do when we gather as believers? He gives us three things that we're supposed to do. So if the question ever comes up, what are you supposed to do when believers, when we come together, like on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or something like that, what are we supposed to do? Well, this passage actually tells us. So the goal is that we'd be encouraged and instructed as we look at all these things. Now, we realize that as a local church, we've been given a mission from Jesus Christ. In fact, we're to proclaim the ministry of reconciliation. The truth of the Bible is this. The whole story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. We get to tell people how God has has loved us and sent his son to be the Savior, and whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. Now, as we as a church, we have, in a sense, we, we seek to do three things. We have a plan, our plan, our, our excuse me, our purpose, our plan, and our process. Now, I want you to think about it. Our purpose is to make disciples. Go ahead. There it is. To make Disciples. Now, discipleship involves two things, evangelism and training. We lead people to Christ, and then we train them, equip them. That's our purpose. Our plan is to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4.12. We're to do that. So we, we lead people to Christ, train them, and equip them, helping them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The third thing is the process. And our process is to go from big to small to sort of we go from big groups like a Sunday morning to small groups like small group meetings of 4.12s and those kind of things. And the idea is to be trained and equipped so that we can serve. Now, I want you to think about when you th- how do we fulfill this purpose, this purpose of making disciples, equipping believers, all of those kind of things. Well, we do it in two ways, and that is that we gather and we scatter. As we gather, we come together to worship our Savior. As we scatter, we go into this community. Now, I want you to think about that. Let's think about scattering for a second. We scatter for evangelism. We go out there taking the message of Jesus Christ, telling people about Christ so they can trust in Christ. We gather for worship and training. We come together to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, and then to be trained and equipped to serve Him. Now, here's the question. that When we come together and we say, okay, we gather for worship and training, but what exactly are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we come together? Think about a Sunday morning. What are we supposed to do this morning? Do we have instructions from God's Word on what we do? And the answer is yes. And so as we look at the passage this morning, it'll tell us what we're to do. So this morning we see Paul gives instructions to Timothy on what we're supposed to do, what we do as believers do when we come together. And he also tells Timothy to be an example. So there's some great things in there as we look at this passage. Let me give you just a brief review. Remember, Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus. He's, he's written this letter to him. He wants Timothy to deal with some issues that are going on in the church to show the church how to function. But he also wants Timothy to continue to grow, and he tells them some great things there. 
In chapter 4, we saw things about false teachers, but there is one section that he really deals with, and we saw it last week and the last couple of weeks, and that is the charge to be godly people, to live godliness. And In fact, these verses, look, 1 Timothy 4, 7 said, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 8 said, Godliness is profitable. 1 Timothy 4, 10 says, Labor and strive for godliness. And so in that little section, we, the whole goal was to be godly. Now, now, we're to pursue godliness in our lives. Now, something we've talked about over and over, but godliness does not just happen. You're not going to grow as a Christian unless you decide to grow as a Christian. In fact, that's the opposite way. You've heard me say this, that if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And that is the truth. If, you're not on, if you've not made the decisions that you're going to grow, that you're going to study the Bible, that you're going to know it, you're going to apply it, you're going to live it out, you're going to make an impact for Christ, if you've not consciously decided you're going to do that, you are unconsciously being shaped by this world and you don't even realize it. That's why we've been talking about that you discipline yourself to be godly. You grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the charge that we saw last couple of weeks is for all of us that we need to make a decision that we're going to live for Christ, that we're going to study the Bible, we're going to grow. Now, as we continue, and he gets on, and as he gets on to verses 12 and 13, in fact, uh, look at verse 11, because this is how he ended that little section. He said, prescribe and teach these things. Prescribe and teach what? The fact that we're to pursue godliness. Now, as we move on to the next two verses, let me break down the passage for you, because there's a lot in just these two verses. First of all, he says, Timothy, this is in verse 12, 1 Timothy 4.12, be an example. And he gives us five areas that we're to be examples. Now, we're going to look at it today, and we'll have to go very quickly through it, because there's just not a lot of time, but we want to see the five areas. Then the second thing that he does is he talks about what do we do when we gather together, that's in verse 13, 1 Timothy 4.13, and he gives us three things, three aspects, and we'll see how that ties together so there is a lot there in in verse 12 timothy be the example in verse 13 here's what you do when you gather well let's begin let's think about it paul charges timothy to be an example of other believers this is powerful because it can be applied for every one of us in this room that we're to be examples we who have trusted in jesus christ as savior we're to be different than the rest of the world now look at verse 12 let me read it to you look what it says let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself an example of those who believe so the first thing that he says is be an example he says timothy you got to be example think about it what kind of example are you and what kind of example am i are we good examples? By the way, we're examples one way or the other. Sometimes people look at us and they say, "What? Well, that's a bad example. That's a that's a good example. Good example of a bad example." I mean, that's what you look at, you know. And we realize that we are to be representatives of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five says we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech through us. We are to live for Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says, "Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us." We're to be imitators of Christ and God. It's powerful. Look what he says. Look at verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Now, the word look down literally means to to underrate or to consider unimportant. Now, Timothy at this time could have been as young as 25, 26, 27. He could have been as old as 40. But in this day and time, because of his age and because of his lack of, you know, he's a younger man, they considered him a young man. So he says, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. Now, a lot of you in this room are young. 
Let me tell you, you can make an application directly. Don't let anybody consider you unimportant just because you're young. It has nothing to do with age. It has to do with your actions. It has to do with how you live and what you do and what you know and how you live it out. Let me just say this. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. Let no one look down on you because of your age. Think about this. How about young? David, when David fought Goliath, he could have been as young as 14 or 15 years old when he fought Goliath. When Daniel went to, was taken off into captivity, he may have been as young as 12 years old when he refused to do what was wrong and said, I'm not going to do that. When, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, they may have been 16 or 17 years old. And they said, whatever, we're not going to bow down. If you have to throw us in the furnace, throw us in the furnace. They stood what was right. What about older people? Moses was 80 years old when he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Caleb was over 100 years old when he got ready to take the land. So it's not age. When Paul says, don't let anybody look down on your young, it could have said, don't let anybody look down because you're old. Because see, in our culture, older people sometimes are looked down upon. Younger people are say, well, you don't know anything yet. Older people is, well, you passed your prime, sit over there. The truth is, don't let anybody look down on you at all, regardless of your age. What does he say do? Be an example. Look, look, no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in your speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. The bottom line is to be example. Now, let me show you. The word example means a pattern, a type. It says, look at this. Let people look and see how to be. Let people look at you and say, that's the way we're supposed to do it. I remember my mother, when I was a little boy, my mother used to, you know, make some of her clothes and she'd get a pattern. A pattern was this thing she'd lay it out and then she would set the cloth on top of it and then she would cut it out. It was a pattern that she went by. A pattern is something that you go by. He says, you know, your life needs to be a pattern. Every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ is Savior, he's saying, don't let anybody look down on because you're young or because you're middle-aged or because you're old. Don't let anybody look down on that at all, but you're going to have to be an example. Every one of us in this room are supposed to be examples, patterns. Of how people are to live. In fact, he says, be an example of those who believe. Live it out. People should look at us and say, now that's the way believers are to live. Titus 2 verse 7 says, in all things show yourself to be an example. Now what he's going to do, it says, Timothy, don't let anybody look down because you're young. Be an example, and then he lists five areas that he wants Timothy to stand out, to, to, to be an example in. Notice what they are. It says, but rather in your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Now, we're going to go very quickly through these. I just want you to see them. Look at the very first one. The first one is speech. It's words. It's what we say. Be an example of your words. Van Savner is an old Bible pastor. He, 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 he preached all the way up to he was in his 95, 96 before he died. He said this. He says, the Bible has a lot to say about our lips, about our tongue, our speech often betrays us. What's in the well will come up with the bucket. The truth is, be careful what we say. Ephesians 4 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word good for the edification for the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're supposed to be saying things that build people up and encourage people, not tear people down. Sometimes when we think about what comes out of our mouths, it could be bad words. It could be gossip. It could be slander. It could be words that tear down. Do we glorify God by our words? Publius, who was a Greek philosopher, said, I have often regretted my speech, but not my silence. What are you saying? What's coming out when you talk to other people? Are we building people up or tearing people down? 
the book of James, he talks about the tongue and he says the tongue is so small, yet it is so powerful. You know about our words. Listen, somebody can give you a word of encouragement. Somebody can say, you know, that was the best. You did so good. You will remember that maybe the rest of your life. And somebody can cut you down. Somebody can make fun of you. Somebody can say something about you. And you will remember that the rest of your life. Words are powerful. He says, you be an example of what's coming out of your mouth. Being an example of a believer. What are we supposed to say? What are we supposed to do? Our prayer for each other is to watch our tongues. What if when you were going to say something about someone that you imagined that they were standing right beside you before you said it? Matthew 12:36 says, give an account of every word. What comes out of our mouths, are they things that build up or tear down? Let me just tell you this. We live in a fallen world, and the world is always tearing us down. The world never encourages. The world's fallen. If any of us need encouragement, we're not going to find it from the world. In fact, it's going to be the opposite. So what we really need is for each other, each of us in this room, to build each other up. So why don't you do this for the rest of the day? For the rest of the day, every time you deal with somebody, why don't you... Why don't you make an application of figuring out something you can say to encourage that person? Go the rest of this day, and who knows, it might become a habit, and you can go tomorrow too, and maybe the next day too, and the next day too, and before you know it, you'd be an encouraging person, letting the words coming out of your mouth that build up, not tear down. So the first thing is, he says, be an example by your speech, by what we say. There's a second thing, and that's our conduct. That's our manner of life. That's our lifestyle. He says you've got to be an example for how you live. Ephesians 4.1 says, Walk worthy of the call in which you've been called. You're a child of God. Live like a child of God. How do we live? Are our priorities and our activities and our talk and all of that, is it like the world or like our Savior? The Christian life is step by step, moment by moment. Billy Graham said this. He said, We've lost sight that some things are always right and some things are always wrong. Don't let that world shape you. It is shaping you if you have not consciously decided you're not going to be shaped by the world, that you're going to live by the word, that you're going to live this out. If you're not, if you haven't decided that, it's going to shape you. What's your lifestyle like? Do we walk our talk? Do we glorify God in our lives? Are we example to other believers on how we are to live? Now, one thing about it, people look to you. Whether you're young or older, there are people who look at you and look at your life and say... That's how Christians are supposed to live. You know, there are unbelievers that look at you every day and they say, this person says they're a Christian. I'm going to see how they live. Are they any different than me? Do they live any differently than I do? You've got to be an example. Be examples by how we live. So he says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young or whatever age you may be, but rather in what you say and what you do. Then there's the third thing, and that's the word love. He says, be an example of love. John 13 says, they know that they will know you belong to me. Jesus said it. They will know that you belong to me by your love, one for another. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the key. He says, we need to be example in love. Love for Christ and love for others. Are you and I showing love to others? Because love is action. And the key is investing our lives in other people. We are not here for ourselves. We are here to invest our lives in other people. That's what really love is. When we wake up in the morning, it is not to live for self. It is to be used by the glory of God to touch lives for Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We are not here for ourselves. You belong to Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That means when we wake up in the morning, we say, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to touch lives? I am here to represent you. I'm going to love God and love others. Boy, it's powerful stuff. 
Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love others as I have loved you. Galatians 5.13, by love serve one another. So he says, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but in what you say and what you do and how you love. The fourth word is the word for faith. And it means two things. First of all, it has the idea of faithfulness. And it has the idea of being dependable. He says, be an example of being dependable. We do what we say. We finish what we start. If we say we're going to be there, we're there. Theodore Epps said this. He said, God uses men and women to represent him. It's not the work that I do that counts with God. It is my being where God wants me to be, doing what God wants me to do. It's faithfulness. When you stand before Jesus Christ, he's not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's faithfulness is the key. You want to stand out in this community? You want to stand out in this world? Just be faithful. Just do what you say. Just show up when you said you're going to show up. Just do what you say. Be a faithful person and you will always stand out. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This word also means faith like trust. The next slide says the idea of trusting. Be an example of a person who trusts God. That means you live by the scripture. To trust God means you take the truths of the Bible and you live out what they say. You believe them. As salvation is concerned, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. As far as the Christian life is concerned, the object of our faith is the Word of God. Faith always has an object. The object of your faith as you go through life is the truths of the Word of God. Your faith grows as your knowledge and application of the Word grows. The more you know of the Word, the more you can trust it. That's how your faith grows. And so he says, be an example. Not only in what you say and how you live and how you love, but being faithful and trusting God. And that takes us to the last one. And this is the hardest one. Moral purity. He says purity. And this word means moral purity. It has to do with sexuality. First, Timothy, uh, First Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, each one should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. That's what he says. We're supposed to be different in this area. As believers, we are to be different in this area. We know how to possess our own bodies. We know what the world stands. We know what they believe. Did you know the statistics show this, that there is very little difference between believers and unbelievers in premarital sex? Very little difference. I wonder why that's true. Do we think maybe this one didn't count? Do we, maybe that he didn't really mean this? Or, or maybe this is just too hard? What does he mean there? He says, you be an example in what you say and how you live and how you love and your faithfulness and faith and your moral purity. We have to be examples in that. We have to do that. I read this the other day. As a teenage boy asked his grandfather, he says, Granddaddy, in your day, y'all didn't get all those social diseases. What did you wear to have safe sex? And Grandpa said, a wedding ring. That's what I wore. We've got to be different in this area. Think what the campus, the community, and our world would be like if believers stood strong in these areas. You're an example in what comes out of your mouth and how you live and how you love and your faithfulness and your trust and your moral purity. Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. There are a lot of you in this room. I said a while ago, you're young. Don't let anybody count you as nothing because you can make an impact in this, in this community and on that campus because you can stand for what is right and you can be an example in what comes out of your mouth and how you live and how you love and your faithfulness and your purity. You can be an example. So don't let anybody tell you you can't. Don't anybody tell you, well, you're young. 
And don't let anybody tell you that you're older and that you can't. You can make an impact right now. So the charge to Timothy is to be an example. And your words and your lifestyle and your love, your faith and your purity. The issue is not age, but actions. May each of us take this to heart. There's so much there. Well, we come to one more verse. We'll go quickly through it because Paul gives instructions, instructions for the church. What do you do when you gather? Think about it. What are we supposed to do when we come together? We've already talked about, or at the very beginning of the study, that we do two things. There's worship and training. We come together to worship Jesus Christ. That's singing, praying, giving, studying the Word and all that. And then there's the training aspect of of being equipped and equipping the saints. We gather for worship and training. We scatter for evangelism. Paul says, when you gather, there are three things you must highlight. Look what they are. Verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of the Scripture to exhortation and teaching. If you have a New American Standard, the word public and Scripture aren't in there. They're in italics, so they're really not in the original. It really says, until I come, give attention to the reading. The implication is the reading of the Scripture, and the word reading there means public. That's why the translators put the word public in there. It means to read the Scripture out loud. Now, Paul is in Macedonia, and he tells Timothy, until I get there, this is what I want you to make sure you're making as the priority. Notice, until I come, give attention. The word attention means to hold to, make this a priority. And there are three things that he says. Notice what it is. Read the Word, teach the Word, exhort the Word. Reading of the Word is, is Scripture. He's talking about knowing that Scripture. And, and let me give you some details. Look, look what he says. He says, until I come, give attention to public reading of the Word. Listen, you understand that when they came together in that time, people didn't have copies of the Bible like you do. You know, I start off every Sunday, I say, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 3, wherever we are. Every one of you out there can open your Bibles. And if for some reason you didn't bring your Bible, we have some. But you realize in the first century when this was written, Timothy didn't stand up in the Ephesian church and said, everybody open your Bibles. They didn't have Bibles. Some of them maybe have had some copies of the Scripture, but as a whole, Paul, uh, Timothy would say, I just got this in from Paul. Here's what it says. And so there was always a public reading of the Word of God. Now, we do a public reading now, and there's a reason for that. Because the Word of God is the authority. It's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. When we come together on a Sunday morning, you know the first thing I do when I come up there? I say, turn in your Bibles for our Scripture reading this morning, too. And then we read the Word of God. Because it is the perfect Word of God. The authority is not me and the authority is not you. I'm just a messenger. You're messengers. The authority is the Word of God. It is alive and powerful and sharpening two-edged sword. It never comes back void. It accomplishes its purpose. It is the truth. It is profitable. It is what we need to know and apply in our lives. You always go back to the Scripture. That is the foundation. And so he says, until I come, you give attention to the reading of the Word of God. The reading of the Word of God. And then he says, into exhortation. Exhortation means the encouragement. We would say the application part. He says, not only do you read the Bible, but you apply it. When you understand it, you, you read it, you understand it, you teach it, all, and then you make application. That's the truth. The whole bottom line is that you hear truth today, and then you say, how can I apply that in my life? He says, when you come together, you read the Word, and you apply the Word of God. Here's the third thing that he says, and teaching. Teaching the truth of the Scripture. This is always the central focus of the church. Acts 2.42, they gathered together for the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Doctrine means the teaching of the truth of God's Word. When we come together, 
We're to read the word. We're to study and teach the word. And we're to apply the word. That's the three things that we do. Now, if you notice on a Sunday morning, I always get up and I read the word. And then we go through the passage and we teach the word. And then at the very end, we apply the word. Now, where did we get that from? We didn't make that up. We got that from this passage. This is what he tells us to do. I talk to some of you and you say, I went to church and we never even used our Bible. I went to a church and they read a scripture and they never talked about it again. You're to come together reading the Word of God because it is the Word of God. You're to teach the Word of God and then you're to make application of the Word of God. That's the big three that you do when you gather. Read the Word, teach the Word, exhort the Word, apply the Word. At Countryside, you've heard us talk a lot of times about Bible study and 412 and 22s, and, and we talk about that sort of thing. And, and in that, there's observation, interpretation, application. Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, what does it mean to me? Observation is what does it say? That's reading the Word. Interpretation is what does it mean? That's teaching the Word. Application is what does it mean to me? That's applying the Word. And so those three, I think we got them up there a while ago. Uh, yeah. We read the Word. What does it say? That's observation. We teach the Word. What does it mean? That's interpretation. We exhort the Word. That's meaning. That, what does it mean to me? That's application. Every Sunday, if I do what I'm supposed to do from the Scripture, we will read the Word, teach the Word, and apply the Word. We're not here to entertain. Because the Word of God is alive and powerful. You don't need any entertainment when you look at the Bible. The Bible itself is what's alive and powerful. Wow. That's the goal. That's the plan. Know it. You, you read it. You study it. You apply it. We have to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Paul says, Timothy, when I get there, before I get there, make sure you're reading the word, you're exhorting the word, you're teaching the word. That's the plan for public ministry. What have we seen? He says, Timothy, you've got to be an example. You've got to be an example to believers. Regardless of your age, you've got to be examples in your words, in your lifestyle, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. And then when you gather together, you've got to read the Word, you've got to teach the Word, and you've got to apply the Word. So let me give you some applications, right? Here we go. First application is realize that we are examples. We are examples. We are to be examples to others in what we say and do and all of those things. We are to be a pattern for others. And by the way, it's not age that matters on this. You can be young or old. You've got to be examples. You've got to be patterns. It's not your age, it's your actions. And what does he say? He says, go back, please. Go back at your words. What we say, are they building up and encouraging? Try to do it today. Think about it the rest of the day. Everything you say to somebody is going to be an encouragement. You're going to build them up. You're not going to tear them down. You're going to build them up. Second is your lifestyle. We're going to walk worthy of our calling. Love, we're going to love God and love others. Fourth thing is we're going to be faithful and dependable as we trust God. And finally, we're going to be holy and pure sexually. That's the key. We're examples. You have to make a difference. If you don't do it, who will? If you don't do it on the campus, who will? If we don't do it in this community, who will? We're the ones. Second thing is this. Make sure that we do the right thing in public ministry. In other words, when we come together, what are we supposed to do? Read the Word, apply the Word, teach the Word, all of those kind of things. That's our goal. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the Word. And then we're going to teach the Word. And then we're going to exhort the Word, which is to make application. That's the plan. May we continue to do that. And we read it because it's alive and powerful. We teach it in its context. And that's why every Sunday we'll get up and I'll say, okay, let's remember where we are. You remember in chapter 3 we saw this and in chapter... Because you've got to see it in this context. We just can't pull a verse out and start talking about it. You have to see it in the context. And then last but not least, make the application. May we strive to be godly men and women. 
being examples of others as we come together to read the word, teach the word, and apply the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for the truths that are there. Just so much. Lord, I just know that each one of us in this room, that you want us and have us to be examples to other believers. And Lord, so by the, the words that we say and how that we live and the way that we love and our faithfulness and faith and, and our purity, that we would be examples to others. Lord, may we do that. May we make application even starting right now. And then Lord, second is, we, we just want to always do what you tell us when we come together. And we know that the goal is that we would read the Word of God because it is your perfect Word. And then we would teach the Word of God so that we can know it and understand it. And then finally, Lord, we'd make application of the Word of God. We know that the whole idea is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that we'd be conformed to the image, that that we would grow from your word and be different people. Use us, Lord, for your glory. May we understand these great truths and be godly men and women as we're examples and as we're growing, as we're reading, as we're teaching, as we're studying, as we're making application. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.